Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Human Side of Learning and Talent Technology. I'm Bennett and Tiffany, the redhead. The reds. The reds. The two reds are here with another special guest, Dave Selickson. Dave is a colleague of ours, has been a VP of, of many things at Blue Water for many years. I've been working with Dave for, for many years. Uh, his beard has definitely gotten longer yeah. since we first started working together. I think Maybe slightly wider. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a little bit. More, yeah. I think you had more hair on your head and, and a lot less hair on your face when we met. I think that's that's exactly true. But it's, it's switched. It's and I, I think I could, you could probably say the same for me, too. You had no, you definitely had none um, mm-hmm. when I met you. You had just graduated college, mm-hmm. so there was no beard. You had a nice <laughs> little baby face, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff up top. Yeah. Tiffany's the same. No yeah. facial hair and lots of hair on my head. I hope that never changes. <laughs> that, that's, we're, probably we're, all, right. we're all hoping you keep that going just like that. <laughs> but Dave is here with us to talk about decision analytics today, what that means and how that's used and when to really focus on it. What's what part of the cycle of, of where organizations are at, et cetera. Um, we'll get into that here in a second. But Dave, like I mentioned, Dave and I have known each other for a long time. Um, Dave, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, your experience with Blue Water, and, and tell, us, tell us where you grew up. Tell us where you're from because it's always a, a fun topic to, to discuss around the office here in Dallas. Yeah, I'll, I'll save the, the fun stuff where I grew up for last because that, that is interesting. Um, at, at Blue Water, for those that might remember, um, there used to be an old Life cereal commercial, and there was a guy named little kid named Mikey, and you would say, "Mikey, will try it," and he would always <laughs> eat the Life cereal. And I, I sort of feel like my role at Blue Water over the last ten years is the Mikey uh, of Blue Water, because whenever there's something new to do, I get tasked to go try to do that uh-huh. thing, um, and and turn it into something that um, tastes good. <laughs> so, um, so you know, right now I'm responsible for our global partnerships. I've run sales. I ran ops. I have uh, actually got to mentor Tiffany when she first started and been here almost 10 years. So I'm waiting for the golden shark. Don't we give golden sharks? I should get a golden shark. I think it's in the mail. Yeah, that's good. In the mail. That's good. Um, uh, and then um, I, of course, have to always say I'm happy to be in Texas. We've been here since 2004, mm-hmm. but I'm from Philadelphia. Ooh. And so that's an interesting dynamic when you're from Philadelphia and you live in Dallas. Um, mm-hmm. One of the first things I ever learned how to say uh, right after Mama and before Daddy was Dallas sucks. I mean, that's just what I learned. <laughs> wow. Like we do just not. straight just, into just born and Didn't um, wait at all. No, just waiting. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Invincible... Which is actually a really good movie. Um, yeah, with Mark, Marky Mark, Mark. Yeah. yeah, Marky Mark, and and it's the story of Vince Papali, who made the team as a walk-on. Um, but that's kind of how I grew up in in a little row home, and you could hear the people next, and you had one step across two houses, and 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 you know playing football at night with you know in in the field that was fenced in with chain link fence and all that. I mean, that's kind of the way I grew up. Um, definitely a little bit blue collar, but. Texas has been a great place. Love family. Um, and, and I love the fact that I can finally respond when, when we talk football and you guys hold up that. I at least now can respond with that. <laughs> I, got, I got one yeah, Super Bowl. A five and a one. So you got a lot, a lot of catching up to do still. Yeah, but There's a lot. We, we can also talk about you know recent success, which, That's true. Yeah, which I'm might a, lean I'm a little right bit. There I, with mean, you. I get it. But yeah, it, it's funny that we, we, it's always a f- funny thing to, to talk about. Philadelphia versus Dallas, and, and Dave's very passionate about Philly. Grew up there, of course. I think uh, to me, it's so funny when we talk about football, especially like Dallas and Philly are, are bitter rivals. 
when it comes to football. We're both in the same division. I'm a huge Cowboys fan. Dave's a huge Philly fan. But it's funny to me that you know the Giants and the Redskins are in the NFC East as well. And I despise the Giants and the Redskins. But I don't dislike New York or dislike Washington, D.C. and surrounding areas. But because of the rivalry with Philly and just the, probably the stereotypical Philly fan, I don't like Philadelphia as a city. I've never really been there, but the, I'm sure it's an amazing place. But I can just, make that same argument based off of the Philly fans that I fan that I know. It's just funny how just a little bit of stereotype in you know in the media or whatever can just kind of turn you against something especially when it comes to football so funny funny story um i uh was in an apple store actually the one where you and i met uh-huh. uh, way back um and uh, uh in walked drew pearson um and we were just talking and i said hey you know i'm just let them know I'm from Philly and, you know, cool to meet you. And, and you used to kick our butts and mm-hmm. every once in a while we, and he, and he talked about the famous snowballs that the Philly fans threw mm-hmm. down at the, the Cowboys players and at Santa um, even. And he said, did you know that the snowballs, like that the guys, what they did was they took snow, shoved them full of toothpicks and then froze them. <laughs> And brought those into the stadium. And I was like, dude, I'm just saying, I didn't know. That's kind of ingenious. And I totally denounced that they did. <laughs> like, I had no happen. idea. I promise that didn't happen. <laughs> but anyway, we had a good laugh about that. But um, it was it was pretty it was pretty fun. But yeah, um, Philly, uh, Philly sports fans are a unique breed. Um, I won't say that I was probably on the dangerous end of that. But uh, <laughs> if you were sitting in the 700 level at the old Veterans Stadium, mm-hmm. uh, any time was go time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we could probably talk about that for the whole episode if you if you let us but tiffany won't let us i will so. not let you because no. i'd be happy she her, no. yeah, no. her eyes glaze over and i'm like, like will you guys just quit you guys talking about football you knew they had a real jail and a judge uh, every eagles game on a sunday at the old vet yeah downstairs they actually had a jail and a judge on hand. it wasn't just like a drunk bus or a drunk tank it was Fighting an actual everything. jail actual judge and an actual <laughs> oh, jail I don't know. So that maybe that's it's not as much of a stereotype about, as it is. Oh, I think field. it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> There's the differences between us right there. <laughs> right there. <laughs> but even though he's from Philly, we, we accept him as who he is. We love him around Blue Water, and we really appreciate you being on our, our podcast today. Uh, we want to dive into decision analytics. Uh, Dave, as, as Dave mentioned, mm-hmm. has helped grow so many things at Blue Water and, and really been integral in a lot of different New new offerings, new ideas, new departments, new anything we do at Blue Water Day has been a great part of. One of them being how we offer to our clients a decision analytics workshop or framework, and really helping this this you know determine that. If you want to know more about that, we're happy to have a conversation. Yeah. But today, I wanted to focus just on the general idea of decision analytics. So, Dave, can you just help set us up? What does decision analytics even mean? And we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, um, it it requires a a brief history lesson, but uh, I was asked to consider taking the reins and starting a new division of Blue Water called Blue Water Analytics. Mm -hmm. Um, And in so doing, um, I had sort of some freedom to go look at other reporting dashboarding technologies because we were thinking about do we want to acquire or partner with any of those reporting technologies. And as I did a whole bunch of due diligence and learned about them, I realized that there's all these great technologies that are out there, but but none of them answer a very simple question, which is a business question that says, why am I collecting this data in the first place? What problem am I solving? What data do I need to solve it? And, and I realized that there's this context around the reporting technology 
that those reporting companies aren't providing. You can go get Tableau, Power BI, Cognos, all these other, uh, other technologies, and they're not helping the business to determine what they need and why. And so I came back and reported to, to the rest of Blue Water, our leadership, and just kind of said, look, I don't think we need a technology. We need a consulting or a strategic framework. And so they said, do you want to go develop that? And I said, I absolutely do. So, you know, I was given some freedom and spent the next, you know, six months or so working through the framework, um, vetting it with all kinds of people that worked at Blue Water, um, and then finally getting to try it out with some clients. And, you know, I, I just have to say, for me, it was sort of God breathed. I mean, it, it was, if you've ever done something that you thought might be okay, and then, and then you rolled it out and tried it and got feedback, and it was so much greater than I ever imagined the impact would be. And when I brought that back to Blue Water, um, and everybody saw how this happened with with the actual client results, um, then and we began to really expand and bring it into integrate it into everything that we do. Mm-hmm. So, so what is the what does the process look like? Who's who's the a good candidate for uh, you know a, a decision analytics type engagement? Um, and and you know, what do they get out of what it? Are, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I think anybody's a good candidate um, because the the first step is helping to identify key business measures. And, and so, in other words, we're evaluating the current state, identifying gaps, and understanding what would really make an impact in your business. What I like to call the so what factor. If we do this, so what? What does that do to our business? We're helping them understand the impacts of decisions they're making around people and how that translates into business impact. And so, at, at the, the steps, you ask for what, how, how it works. We, we look at the business drivers and identify and prioritize them. You can't address all the business drivers at once, so where do we start? And we help with that. We then define key questions that are tied to each business driver. What are the specific things that you need to be able to answer? So once answered, you can make right decisions confidently. And then what's the data that you need to collect that's part of each question and answer set? Um, and then finally, we look at how good is that data? Because if you're getting data that's not trustworthy that you can't find, um, then you're going to have, you're not going to have confidence in the answers that you're giving. Got it. So when it, when I go through a decision analytics process, it sounds like it's for, as you said, anyone, uh, if I'm, the focus of it can be about anything. So for example, if I'm maybe about to make a big decision on moving to a new platform or, or changing software, or make a big decision on implementing new functionality in my existing platform, or expand my ecosystem of platforms. Obviously, it doesn't have to be platform-based, but it sounds like that can help me define what the big drivers are, the metrics I need to be tracking, and and what needs to be kind of put in place before I go through that arduous process of implementation. Yeah, um, we've deployed it in so many different ways at this point over the over the years since we developed it. But the answer, the short answer to your question is, yeah, um, it it will help you understand where the gaps are in your entire ecosystem, like which technologies are driving data you can trust, which ones are not. What data do I need to bring together from multiple locations in order to answer the question? And even things that you're not collecting today that you need to be. And if you're not, then you're not seeing the whole picture. So so we've deployed it to help companies evaluate their current state and are you know is there room for optimizing it we've done it to help companies select and and make sure they're selecting and implementing the right technologies um, we've done it to help with process um, and understanding how to optimize the way training and development and skill acquisition talent gaps retention metrics all those things are are, are being uh, understood 
and being handled. And then there's there's one piece that I didn't really mention that's sort of the last piece, but it's it's very critical. And, and it's creating what I call a stakeholder profile. And it basically says, who needs this data now that we have it? Who's gonna make the decision? What decision do we expect them to make? And how do we know that the result is what we thought it was gonna be? And so that piece is something that if you put that into place before you roll out a new program, before you implement a new technology, before you provide a new dashboard, then, then we're setting ourselves up for success instead of looking you know, down the road and figuring it out later. To go back to sports analogy, I want to figure out what's going wrong at halftime so I can make adjustments and still have an opportunity to win the game instead of we'll get them next year with something else. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. And, and obviously you got to do the planning before you do the execution. I know if Chris was here, he'd, he'd bring out his favorite uh, saying, uh, I think, what is it? I can't even remember now. Piss poor planning prevents some more peas. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we need Chris to provide his, his funny, crazy sayings. But, um, but no, it's part of that whole planning and execution process mm -hmm. is being able to really sit back and define um, the parameters and define and define kind of what what needs to be focused on during that decision analytics workshop um, or just the overall process who are the key who, who's the key members who are the key stakeholders that need to be part of that is it a an entire team effort or, or what kind of helps drive that conversation with with us yeah, one of the beautiful parts here is that the decision analytics, at least initially, um, we want representatives of all the stakeholder groups within the business. And so wh whoever the solution is going to touch, I want somebody from IT, someone from the business, I want executive sponsorship, love to have some managers, love to have some end users and administrators. If there's global groups, want representatives of those. If it's a company that has different divisions that are sort of independent or decentralized, I'd love to have representatives. Because what we're doing is while we're deep diving, we're also aligning. We're getting this entire big group to agree on this is the most important change we can make. And then what do we need to do in order to make it across all of our systems and all of our processes and whatnot? Um, and that's pretty powerful in and of itself, getting that alignment. Um, and so, so the process, the actual workshop is very, very interactive. I think it's kind of fun um, and, and it's unique. I, there's a little bit of design thinking. There's a, a little bit of um, uh, just um, some creative and collaborative uh, in the moment work um, and um, it and then there's some deep dive analysis that we do together um, but in that process getting everybody focused on the same thing and all working towards the same goal that that's a pretty cool uh, outcome of the process yeah that's that's you know Tiffany I think rarely before we started offering this this service or offering this this idea of thinking kind of going into a large project or large decision that a client was 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 working to make rarely did we have the ability to bring all those people together yeah. for a um, you know just a, instead of just a hey let's work on some business process kind of going outside of that and bringing everyone together to hear those um, you know different groups different different needs different metrics different all those different uh, criteria that you just mentioned Dave but then with the output of putting all that together and as a team deciding what is the most important thing that's going to help drive the business or drive this particular project forward um, and getting buy-in and, and getting you know, the entire stakeholder group kind of on the same page. 
I think the other thing that's really unique about it is you you get all of these people aligned. And like you said, we're talking uh, executive sponsorship and admin or end users in the same room. And so I think from our perspective with clients, it's always been really great to see how what they're doing in the project or with the technology we're supporting, how it aligns to a much bigger picture. It's not just, did I turn on the right um the right fields? Do I have the right workflow in that technology? It, you see how what you're doing here, how it impacts the bigger picture of the overall company and everybody's aligned in that. So it's no, well, I just was here for the implementation. It's much bigger and they're making an impact in the organization. I think that's really great knowing exactly what that is and having that alignment among the whole group before we even get into any, any project or down any road with them. Yeah, the the neat piece is the outcomes from the process, um, and 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 to sort of tell a longer story short, I guess um, you know we're going to come out with ten recommendations of the things that we uncovered, and and all of those recommendations are going to be how to get them to that key driver that we've identified, mm-hmm. and so here's ten things that your business needs to do in order to get where you need to go. And, and we go through each of those 10 and we get business alignment. Yeah, we accept number one. Yeah, we accept number two. Well, number three, I don't know, maybe next year. We accept it, but not now. Number four, we're just not going to be able to do that one. And so we go and figure out what all the things are of the recommendations. They commit to it. And then we work on how to help them execute. So this isn't like, oh, good. You now, you know, you guys just accepted seven of the 10 things. Let us know how that goes. We'll call you in two years and you can tell, you know, Mm -hmm. this is now how can we roll up our sleeves and come in alongside you and help execute those to whatever degree is needed to bring about the change that we talked about. Um, and, And at the end of the day, I guess there's a phrase that I keep using. We're trying to help them draw a straight line from the decisions they're making about people to business impact, to business results. And, and I think there are so many companies nowadays that are, look, ROI is, is such a term that everybody's using, such a cliche, it's almost overused, but, but, it's, but it's everywhere and it's true. So we, it's, it's ROI. It's, it's taking the HR group and HR kind of in a broader sense of learning, talent, development, recruiting, whatever, and actually getting them a seat at the table with data and analytics and business results. Because we know at Blue Water, we know that when you make right changes for people, that it does impact the business. Mm-hmm. But few companies know how to put an actual number to that, and we can help them do that. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've sat in on a couple of these with you, Dave, and, and some other of our team members. And the it, it's amazing to see during the process the amount of kind of granularity we try to dive into, but then come back to uh, you know a higher level to kind of put all of that um, into the, the higher level thinking of, of setting that business case, setting that what we're looking for from an ROI and, and making sure that what this, the output of this is going to impact not just the project at hand or the implementation, but the overall business, the people within the business and, and how that's going to um, you know, impact things going forward. So um, you've mentioned it a little bit, but what is, what is the, the intended outcome or the output of, of this, mm-hmm. this process? So, so we're going to do a few things. Um, we're, we're going to, the biggest thing for me is we're going to identify 
you know, all of our clients say, I don't know what I don't know. Mm -hmm. We're going to identify the I don't knows, right? What are the blind spots, the potholes, the things that are going to be issues um, at a very granular level? For example, I can have all the right, you know, I can have all the data and it's going to help me answer a question. But what I don't recognize is the data is untrustworthy. So we're, and then I'm going to be going down a wrong path because I never dove deep enough to look at the data being untrustworthy. So, so as an example, so we're going to uncover blind spots. We're also going to help them define the impact that they can make in a business tied to that key business driver. Um, and so we're creating almost a, a semi-formal business case that basically says, if you make these changes, then these are the impacts it will have on your business. And so we can go do that for five or six or seven different business decisions, help them prioritize, and then roll out and track the impact. And as soon as something's a little bit off, we can uh, assess it and understand it very quickly, diagnose it very quickly, and then help that business to make adjustments to get back on track. And so there, there's, there's, the, there's this overarching understanding that we're empowering them to make right decisions. We're creating confidence in the decisions, so it's not just throwing a blind dart anymore. Mm -hmm. And then we're also empowering them to have greater information as they operate under the new model to understand how it's changing business. Great. Tiffany, any thoughts on uh, just the you know the impacts that you've seen this have on your clients? Well, instead of telling my own, I, Dave, I wanted to ask you what's the most um, surprising thing that you guys have uncovered in in one of these sessions? Yeah, um, I, I would say my favorite story is uh, it's a it's an international restaurant chain. Um, and, uh, if you've ever driven down the highway and with a bunch of kids and you decided it's early in the morning and we got to go find a good breakfast place, you probably went there. Um, and, uh, they, they struggled with, um, a certain percentage of their stores that were consistently more lower performing than others. And they would take their best managers, their best general managers, their area, whatever, and they moved them to these lower performing stores. And instead of improving, they died like their best went there to die um, and they couldn't figure out why. And, and as we started to run them through the decision analytics process, we started to look at there were actually different data sets that we needed to look at for these lower performing stores than, than the 75% of most of their other stores. 75%, they have the same people every Sunday after church. They, they, um, they don't have high turnover. They have people that are tenured, like wait staff and different and cooks that are tenured and don't leave. They're there for a really long time. It's very stable. And you can almost predict exactly what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. The other 25% of stores, the ones that were struggling, were typically near inner cities. And, and, and the one in particular that we used as a use case that sort of springboarded us into this, they have a bus schedule. And the last bus from this store that the employees can take to get back home into the inner city left at 7:30. So they had to take their people, they had to get home. They didn't have their own cars, they worked in the city, mm -hmm. they took public transportation. There were certain dynamics that we uh, coined, the group of us coined it as external friction. There were things like socioeconomic, like high turnover, like they might never see the same person twice. And so the end result of all that of understanding that this group of stores has a very different dynamic than the majority of them was that they created a different model for how to grow leadership in those stores, growing it up from within. So they were already used to the environment and those external friction factors that, that played on it versus the way that they develop people for the rest of the business. Hmm. So that was kind of a fun one yeah. and pretty surprising. And it was, it was really cool because we had, 
um, their, their senior leadership at the C-suite level around HR and talent. And, and when we, unco- we uncovered it together, when, when we saw that, he just sat back and threw his tablet on the thing and threw his pen down and he went, I, I never realized that. What do we do about that? And then we got to go dive in and, and, and solve the problem together. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is really cool thinking about just uncovering those types of things that have probably plagued them or, or been misunderstood by them for so long. And just going through this process helps uncover things you normally wouldn't even think about as a, as a business, that, that some external factors or uh, whatever it may be, um, but that, that's that's interesting. And Tiffany, I'll give you a nine out of ten for the deflecting of my question. Ah. So that was pretty good. I just I like it better when he tells the story. That's true. That's, <laughs> it was not unexpected on my part. Either. That was great. That was, yeah, it was uh, nine out of ten for both of you. <laughs> but no, so so uh, we've gone through a lot. I know, and and decision analytics is is a is a big big topic and a big thing to go through. What additional final thoughts or anything additional that you want to add to uh, that we may have missed about the process? Yeah, um, so um, before when we talked about everybody aligning to one kind of business driver, you, know, you, you think of you think of groups that have a mission statement or whatever, or, or they sort of have a, a benchmark idea. And and as we get into the granularity, like literally, we're looking at a data point in a system. It, we're still looking at why that's important in light of that key thing. We're holding it out front the whole time. Um, and as we continue to remind people, it's almost like we're building a habit. We're building a habit within the business to start making sure that they're paying attention to the impact that it has mm-hmm. on the overall business. Um, and so I really like that. And then, you know, just for me, there's there's one sort of analogy that that sort of floats to the top every time I talk about this. And, and you think about if, if you're not very mechanical and, and you're not a, you know, you're, you're not a, a, an auto mechanic, and I am not one. I know how to do a couple things, but I am not one. Though I did, with Chris Poirier, who works here, once change out an alternator in an old um, uh, town and country um, minivan that got stuck on the side of the highway with no tools and by hand. Wow. One, one tool. Um, took us only four and a half hours on the <laughs> side of the road in Denton. We did it. Your analogy? Yeah. Oh, my analogy. <laughs> Sorry, I got that. Um, I got proud of that moment. I know. I'm sorry. Um, so, it. so you know, your car starts making these noises, pinging, grinding, whatever. And, and sometimes we just like, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to ignore it. And I'm going to keep driving. Guess what? Sometimes your car just keeps going. Sometimes it gets worse. And sometimes you get stuck on the side of the road at the worst time. Other times, you know enough to at least lift up the hood. And you just kind of look in there, and and you might even lean forward a little smoking? bit. Nope, yeah, good. no right. smoke. Um, and there's a belty thing, and it looks like it's fine. I don't see any loose wires. And then you might close the hood, and you go drive down the road. And and then every once in a while, you go get that buddy that knows more than you do, but not enough. But he at least he might even crawl underneath. You know, he might. In my he case, might, that's a husband. There you go, a husband. Yeah, he he might wiggle some things. He might check a fluid or two, mm-hmm. and then eventually you might take it to the mechanic and actually pay somebody to diagnose it. Um, and and to varying degrees of success, I think that's kind of what businesses do. Is is sometimes they don't even know that they have a problem. They just ignore it or they know that there's something there, but they don't really have the ability to address it. And so the decision analytics process is a way for us to sort of painlessly um, and quickly come in and help diagnose some issues and then present sort of a business case of things that you could do to have a positive impact um, to get that vehicle up and running and, and maybe even supercharge it a little bit. 
So Dave, that analogy is perfect. And, and one tiny thing I want to add for me, it's hard. I don't take the car to the me mechanic because usually when I try to explain to my husband what's happening, he's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like that doesn't make any sense. And that's kind of this way for clients too, is maybe they don't know how to explain that what their problem is or be able to pinpoint it, but they know that it's not right, but they don't know how to even begin to articulate what's not right. And it sounds like you're coming in helping them show them the what. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I don't, you know, you, you might want to share some of the noises that you tell your husband that the nope, car makes. Nope, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're saying there's a lot of organizations out there that just put some duct tape over the check engine light and so they don't ever see it anymore. Yeah, and, and actually if you put I black definitely electrical used to do tape, it's better because the tape shows, but black electrical tape. Mm, good to um, know. Yeah, and I had one guy who took a really small drill bit Drilled a hole through the little glass thing and, and popped the bulb behind the nice. check engine thing. Yeah, that's next level. That's next level. <laughs> wow. I just did my first my first car when I turned sixteen. It was a bit of a beater, and I, the check engine light was on more than it was off. So I learned very quickly that it bothered the heck out of me. So I just covered it up with duct tape. And you know what that tells me? It tells me a couple of things. First, it tells me a good parenting because your first car should be a beater. Yeah. And anybody who's getting the Mercedes or the BMWs as their first car, or whatever, uh, uh, not happening, not helping. Um, but I, I appreciate that. And the second thing it tells me is, um, you've probably grown a little bit since then. It may not, it may have learned a little bit about cars. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Not to ignore that check engine. Light. Right. Yeah. Well, luckily these days cars don't, or at least the cars I've had since then, the check engine light doesn't come on very often. But That's gotcha. because they're new. Yeah, <laughs> it's not no. because they don't have one. <laughs> I, I've got one that I know which gas station, depending on where I fill up, it's going to go on or go off. It's it's something to do with um, the ethanol content of the gas. Or I know mm. if I go to a shell station, it'll go off. And I know if I do it at like a racetrack or something, it's coming back on. And when I when I've taken it to the mechanic, it's some like oh it's your O2 sensor. You know, it's always an O2 sensor. Everything is an O2 sensor. Yes, they're they're all over the place. So yeah. if I got to get inspected, I go to Shell. I fill up. I go get inspected. <laughs> I'm good to go. There we go. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great diving into decision analytics. Uh, we will put, or I'm going to put um, a link to our decision analytics page on our website for all those interested in kind of learning more about. The process. There's even a little animation figure of Dave, essentially. <laughs> we might have to make it weird a little longer yeah. now, I think. A little wider, uh, too. So yeah. if, you, if you didn't catch us on YouTube, you can kind of see the animation version of Dave on the, on that link. But, but no, check us out. Um, and, and if you want to learn more, we're always here to talk more um, and, and, and kind of dive into what your specific problems may be. So check out on the website. Uh, there's a contact form on the website as well. Or reach out to us directly. Tiffany and I and Dave are both are all three on LinkedIn and be happy to start a conversation. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, we look forward to bringing more great content over the next few weeks about learning and talent and the human side of technology uh, in learning and talent and just everything going on. Hopefully a little bit more fun, a little bit more laughs, and, and maybe we'll get Chris back one day. We'll see. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> but, but I think we, we hit the lottery with, with Dave this week and being able to dive into that. So we really appreciate the time. I know you're a busy man, so it was, it was great to have you. And so we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe us on your favorite podcast channel. And uh, if you or give us one star if you want, but I, I don't I don't think we're one star worthy. You, you can't you can't give that face a one star. That's all. I'm That's saying. true. You so just, Dave, Dave has can't. added. We talked about new addition to my family, uh, being a puppy. A couple mm -hmm. weeks ago, 
Tiffany added goats to her family. Uh, Dave actually added a real human being to it <laughs> in, uh, in the form of a grandbaby, uh, a cute little grandson. So he's got a mug that, that has lots of family pictures and, and mostly uh, highlighting the grandson, but definitely his, his daughter and, and uh, you know, the dad and, and some uh, aunts and uh, I mean, uncles and, and aunts and, and, and whatnot. So very proud moment for Dave, of course, but for all of us at Blue Water. He's, he's a new addition to the Blue Water family. And uh, we'll let you go from there. So thank you so much. And, and we'll catch you next week on the human side of the learning and talent technology. Thanks.